Good evening and welcome to our Wednesday night video Bible study. We're having a little increase and I appreciate that. If you come up with a question, just stick up your hand and I'll stop and try to answer it. But with this many scholars here, I'm sure we can find an answer. Sunday we talked about 1 John and going from darkness into light and how God wanted us to go from darkness into the light and when we were in the light we had a better life. So tonight I thought we'd talk about how do you change? How do you change your life from darkness into light? What do you do? And what difference should you have? I know as I was growing up, if I put myself on the wild oats side, I'd say at least seven, maybe my mom would say nine, somewhere in that range. And then when I became a Christian at 19, things changed. When I was single, I dated a lot of girls. When I got married, things changed. And whenever I graduated college, things really changed. I went from an everyday ordered life to having to do it, to do it myself with my wife's help. So change happens, but how does it happen? And is there anything that I have to do in order to make it happen? We're going to be using Galatians 5 and a few others all night, so you'll hear a lot of these. So I say, live by the Spirit. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The reason I want you to underline live by the Spirit is because it makes a very big difference in the way you live your Christianity. In Romans chapter 8, he said you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now here comes another one of those underlining passages if you have your Bible. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who is in you. He lives in you. The same spirit, when Christ was in the tomb, the spirit came, and when Christ and the spirit connected, he was resurrected. That was kind of a powerful thing. And what he says is, you who are Christians have that same spirit in you. That powerful spirit that raised Christ from dead, the dead is in you. Ephesians uses the same idea when it talked about, I pray out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray, being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. You're not going to get an accurate picture unless you have the Spirit in you. Well, that leads us to the question, how in the world do I get the Spirit? And that one goes back to one of those scriptures you hear a lot from me. Peter has just convinced the people that the man they killed and put in the grave was the Son of God. And his resurrection proves that they killed the Son of God. And so they cry out, what are we going to do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people have tried to make this say different things, but what it actually means in the original language, I was taught by Harvey Floyd, who was one of the greatest Greek teachers, the gift is the Holy Spirit. So God gives it to you when you repent or baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a gift. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is a gift. You don't work for it. You don't have to achieve some level of your Christianity. God gives you that gift. And that's important. Well, how does this growth thing work anywhere? Well, according to Galatians 5, there are two signs. There's the sign of death, and then there's signs of life. If you read with me in 16 through 18, it talks about these being some of the things that are part of life and death, and the spirit of life and the spirit of death actually war against each other. They actually fight so that you can't have one and the other at the same time. It's the kind of thing that 
you actually can have this civil war going on. But they can't both exist and pull in the same direction. They're going to pull in opposite directions. Now, it's that fight between them that makes some things tough. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the CEV, the contemporary English version, uses some different words that will give you a little hint of where he's going with this. People's desires make them give in to immoral ways, filthy thoughts, shameful deeds. They worship idols. Now, the word for idols does not mean necessarily that you've got a little figure out here that you burn candles in front of and make sacrifices to. An idol is what occupies your life. I was talking to a young man the other day. And he was making the point over and over and over as we were talking. He says, but science hasn't proved that yet. And finally, I just looked at him and said, well, science hasn't proved a lot yet. How come that's where we always go? And it's because he didn't want to go towards God. So he had a, an idol of science. Is science bad? No, science is not bad. But it becomes an idol that takes away any thought of God, then it can be bad. They hate other people. They're hard to get along with. People become jealous and angry and selfish. They argue and cause trouble. They're envious. They get drunk and carry on at wild parties and do other evil things as well. As I told you before, I'm telling you again, no one who does these things will share in the blessings of the kingdom. That gives you a good idea of what he's talking about from a different angle. Now, if I counted right, there are 15 words in this little passage. Seven of them are literally applying to people who don't yet know God. But some of them are applying to religious people who don't yet live their faith. Paul's not trying to get down on your case. He's not trying to make you feel bad. He's not trying to get to the point where you look and say, he says, you are spiritually dead, now get in shape. That's not the, act of, the idea of it at all. He wants you to realize that there are two different lives that live two different ways, and they lead to two different places. This is the... Went back too fast. This is the Bible in basic English. If you 
have trouble reading some of the more modern versions, this is a great version to read to get the idea of what it's saying. And I put it in there so that you could see some of the things that he's saying because some of the things he's saying are, are even better than they were said in, in the other versions. But let's look at a couple words. Debauchery. Debauchery is one of those words that you can easily come down with if you understand the original language. It is talking about out-of-control sexuality. Out-of-control sexuality in a number of ways, which I'm not going to get into because I could be embarrassed awful easy. The second word is orgies. Now, if you think of orgies, you right away think of sex. It clicks right in. It's not so in the original language. Orgies is right beside drunkenness, and it's right beside drunkenness for reason. If you drink enough alcohol, uh, you lose your thought processes. People who, that's why they tell you not to drive. That's why they tell you not to make major decisions. That's why he tells you that, that this is, is not something that you should partake of all the time. But orgies are in that same close process. Only this is substance abuse. They had various barks and trees and plants that they, chewed, that they chewed, and when they chewed them, they got much the same high as they did when they drank too much. They lost their thought processes. And so Paul puts them right side by side to let them know that this is the whole category. These are things that you shouldn't have. Now, some of you look at those two and say, those three, and say, yeah, this is good. I don't have anything like that. Well, don't get too glad too fast. Hatred. Discord. People just hard to get along with. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition dissensions, and factions. This is things that you see probably every day in your life, especially if you work at a workplace. There's always somebody who is just, you can picture them now doing it. Paul says, if that's you, your lifestyle is messed up. The idea of having ang angry feelings, it's almost a competition. Who gets their way? And if I get angry enough, and I yell enough, it's not for the other person to thrive, it's for me to thrive. I'm not thinking of what happens to them, I just want what I want. Sometimes you throw out ideas 
that are false teachers that, that you throw out some ideas that just aren't true. I had a friend who did, did uh, hiring for a company in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Plate and Glass. And he said, do you know what happened to me today? I said, no. He said, there was a guy who claimed that he had a master's in this field. And so I called the master's college, and they didn't know who he was. So I called the college he put down, and they didn't know who he was. He'd never gone to college. And yet he thought if you hired him, if he just said I did, that he could cover it over, that they wouldn't ask anything of him. And that's tough. But there are people who will sway you if they can tell you the, the ins and outs and change things. Now let's get to good stuff. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, forbearance, gentleness, and self-control. He ends that with saying, if you live this way, nobody's going to be against you. Nobody's going to go after you because you're full of love and joy and peace and patience and you're kind and gentle and have a lot of self-control. This is the Amplified. The Amplified is one of those that can give us the meaning of the words the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work which his presence within accomplished is love, joy, gladness, peace, patience, and even temper or forbearance, kindness, goodness, which means benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control, self-restraint, and confidence. The continuance against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. That's a little easier. Let's talk about them and sort of break those words down so that we can get into how change comes. Love, this isn't just, hey, I love you. This isn't just looking at somebody and saying, you know, I love you. This love is loving someone else enough that you reach out to them and fulfill the needs they have in their lives. It's a, I give you this just because you need it. We've had a lot of good people here who did that, just gave because somebody needed something. We've had people that were financially strapped and all of a sudden somebody pops up with some money. Nobody knows who it is. They didn't want you to know. They just loved the person and knew they were in trouble. And when I think about it, the way Jesus lived. If you look at his life, 
from the Pharisee's point of view, he did everything wrong. He touched the untouchables. There were some rules that the Pharisees set out that you could not touch. Well, first of all, lepers had this communal disease, and when you got it, it was a death sentence. So you didn't touch a leper. Jesus did. If it was a Gentile, you didn't want to be seen with Gentiles because that was, would be interpreted as being untrue to Israel. So if you helped a Gentile, that meant you were being unfaithful to the people of God. But Jesus touched them. He touched the dead. One of the laws said that if you touch the dead, you're unclean. And so they made a point of never even going close to a dead body. If you were a Pharisee, Jesus raised people from the dead by touching them. He ate with people he shouldn't have eaten with. Whether it was a woman who everybody knew what her sins were and that she was a sinner to those those who were corrupt like Matthew and his friends. But Jesus reached out and touched them. When John the Baptist knows that it won't be long before he loses his head, Herod's going to cut off his head. So he sends his disciples to Jesus. And they come and they sit down and they said, uh, Are you him? Are you the one we want to look for? Or should we be out looking for somebody else? And Jesus was at that time healing diseases and sicknesses and even casting out evil spirits and giving sight to many who were blind. And he quotes out of Isaiah. Go back and tell John, the blind receive sight and the lame walk. and the deaf hear. The Pharisees taught anybody who was blind, anybody who was deaf, anybody who was lame, they were being punished by God. And so the faithful people would go around them. They wouldn't help them. But Jesus would. Those who have leprosy and are cured, this was such a strong thing that they often put their hands over their mouths and yelled unclean, and they were sent to a, a separate place to live. You couldn't go home. You had no hope of ever going home. You would spread the leprosy to your family. But Jesus cured them. And good news is preached to the poor. It was that group in Jesus' day that was despised. They didn't like poor people. And those who had to, to live day to day, you didn't spend time with them. But whenever you look 
at the prodigal son, the reason for the three parables is Jesus was eating with those sinners and poor folks. He broke every law that the Pharisees had set out because he loved them. Joy, joy is the result of a relationship with God. This is important. It's not thinking less of yourself. Sometimes I hear people who just run themselves down or somebody close to them. That's not what this word means. You don't think terrible of yourself or run yourself down. This joy is because I have a relationship with God. And God watches out for his kids. Peace. Peace is your confidence in your relationship with God. From day to day, different things change. Some days are great. Some days are just there. It doesn't matter what the day is. God's got this. If it's a good day, God's got it. If it's a terrible day and things didn't go right, God's still got it. And he's still with you. The best example I, I can think of, of course, is my daughter. I think of her all the time. And she, when she did something wrong, she would come in and look up at me and say, Dad, I, I want you to remember God's got this. <laughs> and I knew that she had given him a little help in doing something that he should, she shouldn't. But God does got it. You don't have to control it. You don't always have to want it. God's got this. Patience, the exact opposite of anger. Kindness. It's generosity opposed to envy. You're happy when somebody else gets more than you or prospers more than you or advances in the company to a higher place than you. Goodness, sincerity or integrity, having enough love, joy, and peace so that you are the same with any person, whether it's person A, B, or C, whether it's in public or private. Faithfulness is you're reliable and dependable and committed, and you know that. And gentleness isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. self-control. You've got your life in order. There's no difference between what is really important and what is urgent. Okay. How do we get there? They're the words. We understand the words and we've got them. How do we get there? Why does Paul use the metaphor fruit? It's kind of obvious. He's not talking about trees that exist right now, but if you want a tree, you've got to start with the little stuff. 
you've got to start with the seed and allow it to sprout and grow, and then you get a little tree and a little bigger tree, and then you get a large tree, and this tree then, after it's fulfilled, it will bear apples. Up north, I worked in an orchard. It takes seven years for an apple tree up north to be productive. Seven years after you get the seedling going. That's a long time. Now, if you say, I've never been up north, so it's a bad thing, use the orange tree. <laughs> you start with the same seedling. It goes through the same process. And according to growing crazy, in five years, you can have fruit off the orange tree. But it takes time. And this is my northern experience. Do you see the thing in pink? That is a tree in bloom in the springtime. The springtime, by summer, you've got leaves on the tree and you've got fruit to pick. And then fall comes. And when fall comes, everybody from deep in the south goes north a little bit. Georgia, North South Carolina, because the trees change color. And then comes the last. The tree loses all of its leaves, and it looks dead. When I was growing up, I looked for the trees that looked dead because there weren't any leaves to hide the squirrels. So you'd go squirrel hunt and actually shoot something and bring it home. But it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't just snap your fingers and say, I've changed all this. This is important. In verses 16 and 17 of Galatians chapter 5, you have the word translated desires. That was a word that we've put into our modern translations. If you go to the older King James Version, it uses the word lust. Now, lust leads, first of all, it leads to a sexual connotation. A lot of people didn't like it. So they decided to put desires in the more modern version. Neither word is really getting across what Paul's trying to get across. The Greek word is epithemia. When you use that word, it is such a strong desire. This is a desire that you can't resist. This is a you can't look at the desire and say, I'm not going to do this. It is such a desire that you almost have to. The desire is in control. You're not. Paul uses this in a majority of books that he wrote in the New Testament. You'll find it in Ephesians. You'll find it in Philippians. You'll, you'll find it in the book of James. James wrote about it. It's that, that 
desire that's just got a hold of you. Now, before you sit there and say, oh, man, if God, I, I really don't want to be able to do something bad. These things can be good or bad. Strong desires. It can be bad. I give you that. We looked at some words that, that will pretty well take over your life if you look at them. And that desire can really be getting up to you. But they don't have to be too bad. And 16 and 17, when it used it, the girl, the girl and the guy, or guy, their lusts get out of control and they will use other people just for the moment. That's a, a bad, overwhelming desire. But it can be the desire to be perfect. You're going to be, you're going to get everything right. Everything's just going to fall into place. And I'm going to be the person that, that gets everything just right. All the clothes are going to come out of the washer clean. Probably folded in the right way. And you can sit back and say, I got it. That's perfect. I do counseling, most of you know that. I see about three of these people a month who come in and feel worthless because they're not perfect. And I look at them and tell them perfection doesn't, work, doesn't happen here. It went away with the fall. And when we did find perfection, we crucified him. That's the obsession that can happen for good things. Being perfect's not a bad thing. It's just an impossible thing to ever get. So epimathia is that thing that really holds us back. And what Paul is saying is when it comes to the spirit-filled life, you need to start wearing down this thing that's out of control and lean on God until you get control. Let him have control of where you're at. Because if you don't do that, it it will continue to rule. Slow process, you bet. It took you a long time to get where you are. It's going to take a long time to get you where you think you ought to be. Are there any questions? I know I'm not that good. Not perfect. Do you have any trouble with epimathia, a strong, controlling agent? Let me give you one that I see a lot on TV now. 
a mother wants her daughter to eat a piece of broccoli. And the girl takes off running, saying, no, no, no. And the mother saying, yes, yes, yes. And then you see the mother making her mac and cheese. Y'all see the commercial? Y'all shake your heads this way, so I know it. I'm not being crazy. You've got a four-year-old who's running the household. That's not a good thing. But some want to make their kids happy all the time, and that's not a good thing. God gave us parents for a reason, and they're our guides. And if you get good parents, chances are you're going to land on your feet. If you get bad parents, you're going to find them following beside you. Okay, no questions? Thank you for coming. I appreciate it.